O-M-G, Baka. I start training for my new job today. You called just to tell me this? Bexie is still sleeping back in Indiana. Time zones, Baka. <sighs> I get it. It's just, I'm still shocked that it happened. Never underestimate a magical girl. More like never underestimate the legal action team. Yeah, Mr. Martin is pretty cool for an old guy. Although, he's a bit weird. Gary did most of the work for my case. We talked every day for a month while he worked on my legal personhood case. Even on the weekends? Of course! Mr. Martin gave him less work then. I hated that stupid electroshock bracelet the board made me wear, but she said the bedazzling beads fit my shining personality. Oh, boy. When he said that, I... I felt all warm and toasty inside. Like... I still would have preferred to hear this news somewhere other than Twitter, though. Take it up with the new Monster Island public relations director. The MIPR? I'm on my way to see him now. He wants to talk about what I'll be doing at KIJU in light of Cameron Winter's changes to how we do things around here. You have fun with that. I'm busy becoming the director of tourism. Talk about a promotion. Great. Literally a putting a two-year-old in charge. What'd you say, Baka? Don't mumble like Dad. Uh, nothing. You just enjoy your first training day. I'll see you later on for movie night at Jimmy's. I think we're watching Nezera 1964. The rat? Yuck. Bye, Jess. The office of Darius R. Gold. Why does that name sound familiar? Hmm. Mr. Nathan Marchand, I presume. And you're either Johnny Cash come back from the dead or Darius R. Gold? Darius, please. Regardless, it's nice to meet you, Mr. Gold. Likewise, City Slicker. Can I pour you a drink? You look like a rum and coke kind of fella. No, thank you, sir. I'm on the clock, and I've dealt with enough drunks on the job. (laughs) I assure you, I am nothing like that little man you dealt with before. I can hold my liquor. Is that a kaiju tooth mounted above your desk? (laughs) Yes, sirree. I got it after a mean tussle with Gojira. It's Zilla. Oh yeah, Ziller. I was testing my brand new anti-kaiju weapon. I call it the Rattler. On account, it shot the fastest and noisiest missiles you ever did see. Smacked Ziller right in his big old kisser and knocked one of his tooth loose. Mr. Winter got word of that, and my life has been peaches and cream ever since. Well, you're a step up from the last rednecks he hired, from what I've heard. Well, now the mistake he made was giving them old boys big robots. Bunch of pansies, if you ask me. I prefer to get my hands a little dirty on my hunts, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, with that plaid shirt and huge Stetson, you look like a hipster cowboy to me. Mr. Marchand, they told me you were smart as a whip, and I'm beginning to think they're right. Is that seriously a gold-plated gun on your desk? Darn tootin', it was a gift from Mr. Winter for five years of faithful service. I call her Julie on account she sings like the hills are alive. 
She's a Colt Python, the biggest, baddest, meanest six inches of gold-plated steel you ever did see on the right side of my pants. Uh, not going there. Anyway, you said in your email that you wanted to speak with me about KIJU matters. Sure did. As Mr. Winter's newly appointed PR director, I will be managing our media output. In other words, you'll be answering to me. Uh, pardon me, sir, but after everything I dealt with last year, I'm a bit leery of that. I hope you understand. I figured you'd say that, but I assure you, I have no inclination of turning your show into a Chinese propaganda outlet. Good to know. I'll simply be given final approval for your guests going forward. Can't be having any bad optics, you understand? Fair enough. I don't mind some managerial oversight. I'll also be suggesting guests for you to interview. In fact, here's one for your next broadcast. Terry Young? Isn't she the great-granddaughter of Jill Young and Greg Johnson? Damn straight. Jill's daughter married into a rich British family who had some land in Africa. You could say Mighty Joe has been doing mighty fine for several decades. Seems the board tried for years to get Mr. Young to the island, but the family has always refused. Mr. Winter even tried to sweeten the offer with a hefty sum of money, but they're more protective over that monkey than a mama bear with a crippled cub. Given their past experience, I don't blame them. Which is why I booked Miss Terry and Mighty Joe to be interviewed on your very show. I need you to relay the message composed in that there document. I expect you will represent the island well, Mr. Marchand. Mr. Winter is quite insistent on having Mighty Joe here. He's quite popular with the children, after all, especially those poor, lonely orphans. I think you overestimate my powers of persuasion. Oh, come now, Mr. Marchand. If you just stick close to me and Mr. Winter, you are on the fast track to success. An experience has taught me a pile of money and a well-placed bullet will solve just about anything. Just take a gander at that baby skull crawler over there on my wall. Ain't it a beaut? Jeez, does it have a third eye? That's no third eye, son. That'd be a bullet hole. Made it myself during a safari to Skull Island. It put up a damn good fight, but as you can see, it did finally come around. But barring those two things, the right words from the right person go a long way. Given the reputation you've earned for integrity over the last few years, I reckon our request for Mr. Young will sound more sincere coming from you. I'll see what I can do. Come over here, Nate. Can I tell you something? Back where I come from, we have lovely horses who like to gallop and entertain everyone just like you. But you know what we do when a horse breaks its leg and can't gallop no more? We pop them right between the eyes like that there skull crawler. Uh. Now listen, all I want to do is see you gallop in your career, Nate. And if you can get through to someone as stubborn as the Youngs, well, you may have more silver in your tongue than Colbison County. Hmm. I appreciate the vote of confidence. I'll get right on it. Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Marchant. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have some business to attend to. And according to this here Rolex, so do you. 
I'll be seeing you around, Nathaniel. Duly noted, Mr. Gold. Great. From Oliver Twisted to wannabe Texas Ranger. Ugh. Live from the KIJU studios in beautiful Ogasawara, this is the Monster Island Film Vault, episode 58, The Tourist vs. Mighty Joe Young, 1949. Hello, Kaiju lovers, and welcome to the Monster Island Film Vault. A podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. I am your host, Monster Island's film curator, Nate Marchand. And, who boy, we had fun today. Okay, Jimmy, maybe they're not your favorite people, but they're my favorite people. I don't know, what, what beef do you have with... Well, we'll get to that here in a second. Because I have a trio of wonderful guests here with me today. Starting with writer, podcaster, and teacher, Mr. Nick Hayden. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hi. What, Are you done you being mean? awkward? Yeah, that's all, yeah, that's all I got. So that's I all. I, 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 of course. I, just, I, I, get talk, I don't know how to introduce myself. Uh, you don't know. That's why I do it for you. I know. <laughs> nice. Hello, everybody. Yeah, but what beef does Jimmy have with you? Apparently, oh. his beefs with all of my guests. Oh, we've been having a. We've been having some email conversations back and forth, arguing about our favorite version of Cowboy Bebop. Oh, <laughs> gosh, dang triggered. Anyway, moving on <laughs> to the next pair of guests. <laughs> we <laughs> we're gonna have words, Jimmy. Depending on which one you like. Anyway, and with me over here is uh, Mighty Joe Metter and his lovely wife, Jill. I mean, Joy. <laughs> I'm not sure how I want to respond to that. <laughs> Maybe I'll burn down an orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> Foreshadowing. Before we went on the air, we were having some fun <laughs> talking yeah. about this movie because... But save it for the actual conversation. Yeah, we're going to break this down momento style. We're going to start with the end and then move back <laughs> to the beginning because otherwise it's not as fun. Flames on the side of my head. <laughs> I still don't understand where Jill came from, but hi, everyone. That's the name of the girl in the movie. Oh, I get it. Because Joe and yeah. Joe and okay. Yeah. <laughs> He thinks I identify with a monkey. <laughs> well, anyway. I mean, how many people can say that they've watched a monster movie or kaiju movie, whatever you want to call this? I don't. I wouldn't say this quite qualifies as a monster movie, but uh, who has a name? Not shares just a name that, with them. Who plays himself? Yes. I was so caught up with the silliness and the energy of the moment during that broadcast that I forgot to name drop the name of our current series. Well, here you go. America, 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 America. America, I do. Mm-hmm. 
And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. Featuring Joseph Young as himself. In case you haven't figured it out yet, <laughs> the movie we're talking about today is Mighty Joe Young, the original from 1949, directed by Ernest Schoedzak and featuring the, well, it's the first film that had special effects done by Ray Harryhausen, although he's not credited as the main guy. That went to Willis O'Brien. The first Harryhausen movie was one I had you on for, Nick. Yeah. Beast, Beast from 20,000 20, Fathoms. 20,000 Fathoms. 20,000 Fathoms. Barricade wants to know, who started the fire at the orphanage? <laughs> we didn't start the fire. <laughs> I, I thought about that one, but then I was like, but I've used that one before. Yes, you have. So then I was like, I need to come up with something new. There's a fire at the end of... He's 20,000 fathoms too, but it's in a, it's in a roller coaster. So, <laughs> yes. So, well, uh, at a amusement park. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. So, so anyways, yes. My Fire. my song for this one is yet to come, but it'll make sense yes. when it does. Yes. Oh, sh- knock it off, Jimmy. Don't make fun of her singing. That's very rude. Jimmy, you have no room to talk. <laughs> Don't make me have the monster come after you the next time. Oh, you have you have your own Mighty Joe. That's how this works. I do have my own Mighty Joe. <laughs> yes. I, I don't like all these comparisons to be, <laughs> me being a giant gorilla <laughs> that gets drunk and hurts things. <laughs> We're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay, I wasn't saying you're a gorilla. I was saying that you're my knight in shining armor. Yes, mushy stuff. There is no armor in this movie. <laughs> Not even on a wall. Where do you get this? This is why I can't take you anywhere. <laughs> Plot armor. Ooh, that that's really good. <laughs> yeah, there is some missing like breastplate or something. <laughs> okay, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Unless any of you have funny stories about getting to the island. <laughs> no, no, it's just been cold back where we live. So, and it's uh, it's warmer here for yes. sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But anyway, yes. Anything Mighty above zero is, is warmer. <laughs> Fahrenheit or Celsius? Yes. Uh, Fahrenheit at this point, but Celsius isn't far off. Because <laughs> <laughs> they measure everything in Celsius around here. But, but yes, Mighty Joe Young. And relatedly, the Toku topic will be appropriately gorillas in captivity, which I found out that there are more parallels than I would have expected when I looked into that. So... With that, we got to get the entertaining info dump out of the way. I am no longer contractually obligated to read it now, despite the fact that Jimmy still writes them, but it's kind of tradition, so why not? Get everybody caught up on and get onto the same page. So with that, let's move on. Mighty Joseph Young of Africa is a quick-tempered and protective gorilla of unusual size loyal to Jill. He fends off hunters and other animals that intrude upon his territory, threaten Jill, or attack him. While on tour in America, he is weary and depressed and wishes to return to his native home. The feisty but kind Jill Young is Mighty Joe's owner and caretaker. She seeks to protect Joe from exploitation, but also keep him from lashing out and hurting anyone. However, she is naive enough to let Joe become the star attraction of a stage show. 
Max O'Hara is a fast-talking and charismatic nightclub owner who persuades Jill to let him take Mighty Joe to Hollywood to make him a star. While he never abuses the big ape, he's oblivious to Mighty Joe's misery. Once he sees the ape is suffering, he's determined to help Jill and Mighty Joe escape back to Africa. The down-to-earth and charming Greg is an Oklahoman cowboy who goes with O'Hara to Africa for the challenge of it. While at first complacent with O'Hara's treatment of Mighty Joe, he comes to realize the ape must be returned to Africa. He eventually falls in love with Jill, which makes him doubly motivated to help. The human and kaiju plotlines are, for the most part, unified. While O'Hara and Greg's stories are at first separate, once they meet Mighty Joe, their stories also unify. The protagonist's actions then center around Joe. While he isn't the antagonist, Mighty Joe is the problem, whether he's causing trouble or trying to escape. He tussles with cowboys and a lion, but manages to beat them. It's only through Jill's intervention that he doesn't kill anyone. The 10 strongest men in the world have a tug of war with Mighty Joe on stage, which he easily wins. He even wrestles one strongman. Joe is enraged when an audience member throws a bottle at him, but is calmed by Jill before he retaliates. Three drunks get Mighty Joe inebriated, and after antagonizing him, Joe goes on a drunken rampage, destroying O'Hara's nightclub and fighting a pride of lions. A court orders Joe to be shot, but before they can do so, the human protagonists smuggle him out in a moving van, eluding the police in pursuit. The problem is solved when, on their way to port, the protagonists come to a burning orphanage. They and Mighty Joe risk their lives rescuing the children before the whole building collapses. The court pardons Joe and he returns to Africa with Jill and Greg. The script by King Kong screenwriter Ruth Rose is a character-driven comedy adventure story with a few subplots closely tied to the main story. It focuses on a few main characters but has several supporting cast members. Mighty Joe Young would be the last big-budget speculative fiction film to be produced for a while because its budget ballooned to $2.2 to $2.5 million, which was double what was anticipated. Regardless, most of that money is seen on screen. The combined talents of both Willis O'Brien and a young Ray Harryhausen make this a tour de force of stop-motion. O'Brien refined what he did in Kong 33, and Harryhausen showcases his talent for lifelike performance with his puppets. Mighty Joe is highly expressive. The sets and miniatures are lavish and huge. The finest details are meticulously animated. Multiple techniques like back and front projection and matte paintings are integrated into the stop motion effects. The end result is an extravaganza showcasing talents from the special effects masters of two generations. This is a light comedy with a moderate amount of gravitas and plenty of pathos for the titular character. For the most part, this is a relatively grounded film. The only real fantastical element is the inexplicably large Mighty Joe. While it reverses many story elements from King Kong 1933, this isn't a very experimental film. The film reinforces the style of King Kong 1933 with its similar characters and story. Both focus on a big gorilla who is brought to civilization to be exploited for showbiz, but as previously mentioned, many elements are reversed, such as the leading lady genuinely caring for the big ape and taming him. With King Kong 1933 making bank at the box office and its re-releases, producer Marion C. Cooper decided to tap it into this continued interest with a quote-unquote spiritual sequel. 
To do so, he reassembled most of that film's creative team to make this one. It was meant to entertain a general movie-going audience. RKO had high hopes for Mighty Joe Young, but it underperformed at the box office. Some sources say it had a $1.8 million budget, and it grossed $1.95 million when released July 27, 1949, a loss of $650,000. Because of this, the proposed sequel, Joe Meets Tarzan, was scrapped. However, it was a hit with critics and won an Oscar for Best Special Effects, which Cooper presented to Willis O'Brien. It became a classic when it was discovered by audiences on television, and it remains popular today despite living in Kong 33's shadow. Harryhausen claims a few scenes were cut from some editions of the film, but the uncut version is what's available now. There are several forces at play. A mild form of colonialism is seen with the Youngs owning property in Africa, and Little Jill bargaining with natives for Little Joe. Her childish independence conflicts with her father's parental authority. Nature and civilization clash throughout the film, whether that's cowboys trying to wrangle Mighty Joe or Mighty Joe rampaging in the nightclub. The simple life, as represented by Jill and, to a certain extent, Greg, and celebrity, as represented by O'Hara, are starkly contrasted. Entitled audiences seek to exploit Mighty Joe for entertainment and abuse him when he fails to do so. The authorities, as seen with the court and the police, overlook extenuating circumstances in Joe's case and sentence him to death. Several themes are present in the film. Simplicity is preferable to the ritzy Hollywood life. O'Hara realizes he was wrong for convincing the naive Jill to bring Mighty Joe to America and redeems himself by helping them escape. Exploitation is presented as evil, with there being a possible commentary on slavery. Drunkenness is frowned upon. Traditional femininity is celebrated with Jill taming Mighty Joe. While at first the authorities harshly condemn Mighty Joe, they rightfully change their ruling after Joe redeems himself by saving orphans. Now that we're on the same page, let's get into some Toku talk. <laughs> Always late on that guitar. Actually, this is staying in, so <laughs> congratulations, you let us in. <laughs> but I could tell that you're all chomping at the bit. You had this was some of the best one of the best viewing experiences I have had with you. I wanted to have you on because this is for all intents and purposes, a spiritual sequel to King Kong. And all of you, minus, well, Tim's not here, unfortunately, but all of you helped me launch the He's show. no longer with us. <laughs> <laughs> Fake news! <laughs> no, it, no, it's staying. <laughs> but he's, he's passed on to be with his wife. <laughs> so he was the funeral and four weddings and a funeral? <laughs> I, I never said that he was that he's dead. I just said he passed on <laughs> to be with his wife. So anyway, anyway, you helped me launch the show with King Kong thirty three. So I thought it only appropriate to bring you back for this one. Also, like I said, name affinity. So <laughs> yeah, I'm not so sure. I like being connected with the the drunk gorilla church people. <laughs> But we need to get first to the most important part of the movie, 
the sudden mm. jump into a burning orphanage. <laughs> that's okay, why I'm wait, saying. Wait, wait, wait. You, that wasn't the right. That's not how we were going to start it. I was going to say, I have one very important question. I don't know what it is. <laughs> you fail. I do. <laughs> the question was, is why is everything red? <laughs> red, red. <laughs> Babies are red, she's blood red. Babies are red, the feds said, lock her in that she's red, but I love her. He I stole mean, your thunder. He did. I think he might have stolen the, the what the song is going to be, but I'll still share what mine two were. Hammer and <laughs> He's still going. But yeah, that the ending. To oh, this the movie, the well, that was like I said, one of the best viewing experiences that I've had because the visceral, <laughs> knee-jerk reaction from all of you—that <laughs> was gold. Now I I understand where you're coming from because I watched this movie for the first time last summer, and I had the same reaction. Like, what just happened? Because for those of you who don't know, this is a black and white film, and then suddenly you get to the end of the movie and it has a red filter <laughs> thrown on top of it because burning orphanage. <laughs> like Out of nowhere. Like we were saying, Which actually sounds like a band name or an album or something, doesn't it? A burning orphanage. Like we're it's, saying it's a, it's a great climax for a different movie. <laughs> yeah, actually, I wrote that down when you... Your reaction was literally, this is a great scene from a movie we haven't been watching. <laughs> it's just, it's completely, they're running away, they're driving, and then they just, there's an like orphanage burning suddenly in red, and they pull up for some reason, though they're trying to get, the, get into their... The, you know, the Because they're on the run from the cops. Yeah, they're on the run from cops. Because they want to, to shoot... Poor Joe. Yeah, trying to get the coast, and they're like, oh, burning orphanage. We'll just pull over here. Yeah, like, I mean, it was literally like a dead end. It felt like they were going to a dead end to a burning orphanage. Which is just burning. We have no idea why or how. Or, it just is like massively on fire. Like completely. It's a fire. big building, it's too. It's a big building. Yeah, imagine like the school that you... Uh, elementary school. Your elementary school just catching fire. And then letting it burn for like eight hours and that <laughs> happening over like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and oddly, we get to, we get to show off our, our, our cowboys of Billy the Lasso in some sort of action well, moments. Yeah, and, yeah, well, obviously, because we didn't actually get him lassoing Joe Young and he hasn't lassoed anything. Well, they tried. They tried to lasso Joe Young and that went about as well as you would have expected. Well, we're going to we're going to get back to that. We're, we're okay. starting at the end. Yeah. That, that's near the beginning. Um, so, yes, I you, forgot. This is the podcast episode directed by Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. Thank you. Yeah. So we start with Joe Young not dying and safe in Africa with <laughs> With, with a zooming it, 1949 zoom. Yeah, yeah, zooming it old school, yeah, as yeah. you put it. Yeah, 1949 zoom or Skype. Could could, but be it's like, silent. Yeah, it's silent. Yeah, and the only reason we're saying this is because not Carl Denham tries to talk to him. Yeah, they try responds, to talk. To, like, they respond like it's in time, like it's like a voicemail that you know. Leave a message after the beep. Psych, I'm not here. 
I'm going to get so many memes out of this episode, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. So, so they survive. They sur- Everyone survives. Even the people that don't deserve to. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, uh, it's funny. I was bringing this up when we were. Everybody lives. Dr. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was just saying that it, remarkably, no, no people anyway die in this movie. It's a blind. And yeah. Well, and the funny I'm thing, not it's even just sure the lions die. I think the lions just get hurt. Well, you keep no, telling yourself that. Oh, no, there were some gunshots. Oh, right. A- and right, some sorry. off. And some off screen beatings i'm just yes. yeah but uh, the funny thing is is i i was listening to the commentary for this movie before you got here and ray harryhausen was one of the people doing the commentary and i don't know if he was joking or not but he said but somebody pointed out, i was like it's astonishing that joe never kills anybody while this is all going on and he said oh we were uh, marion c cooper the you know the producer he said that if we killed anybody we'd get an x rating <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, the violence in, in killing one person with an animal, even if it was deserved because he is antagonized, that time probably would have been like a rated R rating. Possibly, but I thought we were starting at the end because Burning yeah. Orphanage. Well, yeah, so Burning Orphanage. So backwards, we, the grill is safe at, back in Africa. But before we get to that, he has to escape L.A. <laughs> escape from L.A. <laughs> Mighty Joe Young style. Um, Which involves a lot of just jumping into different cars. Yeah, I, I think there's been like two, three car switches. Yeah. Uh, in the middle of it, there's getting stuck in quicksand. There's a, a gas station attendant that's confused. and Because for some reason, they <laughs> decided to do this giant getaway without making sure their tires are pumped up. Yeah, I think, uh, you I think for, but you forgot you you forgot about the Swedish chef falling on hard times and becoming yeah, a bum. I was gonna say, <laughs> like, hey, he talks like wait, what? what Swedish was, chef? No, oh, my father's no. lingo. My, my father's, father's lingo. lingo. That's what it was. <laughs> hey, he's it, using it, my it, father's it. lingo, and it literally sounded like what you would think the Swedish chef <laughs> would have sounded back then, because it's totally gibberish and makes yeah. no sense. Yeah, well, and then the they, they, they snuck. They didn't want to use like a real language, I'm sure, because <laughs> then they would. But be they like, used real Swahili at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Go yeah. figure on that. The funny thing is, is there's an in joke actually in that scene when the cop gets on the phone and says, "This is Obrinsky." That was a reference to Willis O'Brien. Oh. They threw that in there for him. Ah, uh, okay. So there you go. So yes, burning orphanage. And then, yeah, then burning orphanage. But what, so what? What threw all of you off? We'll start there. What threw all of you off about it? Well, there's the jarring uh, filter of red, and then there's an orphanage burning for some strange reason. We yeah, heard orphanages at all in this movie. Yeah, there's there's not a sign for an orphanage like five miles ahead or anything like that or. Or uh, how or, did you or put a radio signal of forest fires? Coming. Oh, what? Did, how did I think the way you put it, Nick, was there, when you're talking about the, the foreshadowing this? Or like nobody at any point said something like, you know, oh, there's a there's an orphanage ahead and it might be on fire or something, <laughs> and, or it might be burning. Tomorrow or, morning. Tomorrow morning. Yeah. <laughs> there's an orphanage five miles ahead, and Tomorrow who knows if it'll be burning or something. Like literally, they're they're driving away. They're getting away from the cops. They got through the quicksand. It's like you're like, okay, they're going to get. They're trying to get to the coast. To the harbor to, to get the harbor. on a boat. And then sudden, like just smash cut <laughs> to red burning building orphanage, and you're like. Wait, what's going on? And then they just pull in and like, oh, we're going to help here. As if like nothing in the last 
20 minutes has mattered. <laughs> well, wait, wait. They did say, well, she's like, go help them. We need to help them. Basically, like, it's more important to help them than to save the gorilla. Well, they had just, like, pulled her yeah, to the driveway. Yeah, her only friend in, in, in like, yes, her 18 years of life. So yeah. it, it just, like, even if we had seen him driving and saw a build, burning building, be like, hey, we need to go over there, it would have been enough. But it just, like, smash, cut, right. boom, <laughs> burning orphanage. And, like, there's a sign, like, children's home, and it just flames everywhere. It's yeah. like, so is it the... S- is it the s- side children's home? So is it the sudden style change or the fact that they're pouring it on thick by having Ch- Mighty Joe save orphans? All the above. <laughs> I don't mind the pouring on thick part. It was just a very jarring Dying. season yeah, change, or it's not season scene uh, change. Scene change. Well, I can English. Well, I don't think it, uh, the the pouring on the pouring on thick. Like once you're in it, it's a it's a great scene. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a transition. great scene. It's, it's just, just that the the transition was not there, the, the, it, and it's just a tonal shift too. Like completely. It's, it's like. It, those of you who drive stick, it's like going down from fifth to first immediately. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, where is that? Where did that come from? And do I need a new transmission? <laughs> we're, we're in a different well, movie. I, I was telling you, I was, I'm wondering if it's kind of operating before he was anywhere close to making movies. It's operating under the Spielberg logic of if I can get the audience to this point, I can throw whatever I want at them and they'll go with it. And by the end of that scene, yeah, you're sold. But it's just, it's just well, a weird yeah, transition. It's obvious that Joe Young needed to redeem himself after his drunk outing earlier. <laughs> I don't know if it's so much about, about him redeeming himself as so much as it's him saying, see, I'm not terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that was my thought. It was more like a, I actually do care about, you know, other things besides myself. Yeah. Although really it was still the girl that was inspiring it. <laughs> well, and which is a theme and we'll get into that because as was mentioned in the entertaining info dump, this was basically made by almost the entire same creative team as King Kong 33. Uh, you had Willis O'Brien, Delgado, the Shotsack, Cooper, uh, Robert Armstrong came back as basically the same character. <laughs> Max O'Hara, who is basically Carl Denham, but not nearly as unscrupulous. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think he hides it better. <laughs> Except he actually figures it out at some point. He's like, you know what? I did make a mistake breaking him over here. I'm going to help you get him back. Well, his entire business just got wrecked. I mean, obviously, <laughs> it's, it's like, a mistake. Well, this didn't work out. I just lost like $10 million by this gorilla destroying well, well, we'll talk about the nightclub in a little bit, but you know, you're talking about all of this stuff. I mean, the animation and everything, the stop motion. with and there's, It's not just Joe. It's the little people and that, that poor baby. <laughs> That poor little girl. Seriously. I felt so bad. So here's this little girl on top of a burning building, unable to get down, screaming, crying. And all of a sudden, a gorilla comes out of nowhere and grabs her. A big gorilla. Like, not like a normal-sized gorilla, which is already big. Like, you know, a, a significantly taller gorilla grabs you, tries to climb down a tree almost drops you then it has to climb up the tree because the tree's on fire (laughs) then the tree falls over and you're magically okay and you start crawling away crying 
And then he has to grab you again because another part of the building almost falls on top of you. That poor child is going to have nightmares for the rest of her life. About Joe or the burning orphanage? Possibly both. The word of the day is burning orphanage. But like Joey was saying, like the the action just, you know, it just keeps going. And there's, there's like probably three or four different long-term action scenes that involve a lot of animation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're they're pretty impressive. Yeah. Really I, th- I think the uh, what I thought was really funny is you said, uh, I think you said something about, it's <laughs> like, oh my gosh, the, they're uh, like, she, uh, like uh, the PTSD or something like that. It's like, for who? <laughs> you said both. <laughs> oh yeah, because you're like, for the gorilla? For the girl, I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Oh man, but... So we've talked about all that. Very yeah. intense scene. Very well done scene. Yes. Just, just I, I want to know it. who is behind the scenes actively using the flamethrower to get that building to burn down. It was a five or six foot tall miniature. Yeah. With an actual person, you know, with a, one of those flamethrower guns just continually burning it. Because there's no way it would go up that quickly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Unless you're washing your clothes with gasoline. Which was a thing back in the 40s. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the other thing. We don't know why it was it was burning. Our theory is just that by movie logic, the more the more, the more children are in one spot, the more likely it is flammable. Yep. <laughs> so, an elementary school is the da- most dangerous place you could be as a, as a child in a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, because it doesn't start on fire, there'll be an earthquake or some supervillain will attack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at uh, that happens every day in Japan. What are you talking about? <laughs> But it's funny that we're talking about all of this stuff with all of the things with this. But how would you like to know? Thanks to my friend, a uh, uh, friend of me and friend of the podcast, John LeMay, who gave me an advanced chapter from a second edition of his Kong Unmade book. I can tell you what the original finale was because the Burning Orphanage was not what they originally had in mind. Are you ready for this? Yes. Nuclear bomb. We're ready. <laughs> no, you're not. boxing gorillas (laughs) (laughs) there's a bad name for you wait wait okay wait wait, hold on on. all i have to say is bread wins (laughs) mighty joe boxer Oh, uh, here I'll uh, I'll read a little bit okay. from this advanced chapter. <laughs> the I quote: the original ending was also much more fantastic, and it's a shame it wasn't filmed. Even if the burning orphanage serves as a decent enough finale, O'Brien's idea was for a rival gorilla on display in the club to abscond. Ooh, that's a funny word nice. with Jill. Joe follows, and the two gorillas get into a boxing match. O'Brien had a keen interest in the sport atop a rapidly moving cable car. (laughs) (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) That does sound like a better... (laughs) I mean... Legitimately, this is probably the better ending. Well, no, they said that they don't know if it... Burning Orphanage is definitely number two to this. No, no, here we go. (laughs) Burning cable car. Okay, with children in it while they're boxing. <laughs> it's the best of both. I don't know why we didn't think of it. Yeah, uh, they said that they're not sure if it got cut because of budgetary reasons, 
But according to John, one source said that Cooper didn't like it. So <laughs> it was replaced with Joe getting drunk and labeled a public menace by the. <laughs> so can we talk about the clown car that all the cops? <laughs> I'm having a heart attack. Do it in the car. So, okay. Going backwards still. The chase scene. We got about seven or eight grown cops into one car. Oh, and the producer that owns the nightclub. Who numerous Uh, times faked a heart attack. Who who is multiple (laughs) times. He's a multiple time heart attack faker. You just can't trust him. Yeah, I was amazed that cars back then were so spacious. I mean... You couldn't fit that many people in a 15-passenger van now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but it did have an entire police unit inside of it, apparently. I think it had the entire LAPD in it. And they all were trying to get to their dates. (laughs) I was saying saying that cop, because he was complaining the entire time, was like, like, we have to go do this. No, I have a date. And I was like, he's got the best excuse ever ever to be late to a date. He just has to tell her. It's like, why were you late? He's like, I was chasing a gorilla uh, in a van and then there was a burning orphanage. And then she's like, you're a liar. (laughs) Why don't you just tell me the truth? Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Dang it. There was a great scene, uh, a fun scene. Oh, what what do you got? Hold on, I want to say that. Okay, so my one question was, so they have all these cops, but where in the world is the fire department? (laughs) Like, this thing has been burning, obviously, for a few minutes. Where's the fire department? I think it's more than a few minutes. And and this orphan, I think this orphanage is more flammable than our college dorm, Joe. Well, (laughs) so Joe's response had been, well, it's because they're all cops and no one has a fire department. (laughs) Yeah, they... They spent their budget on a TARDIS car for their cops. <laughs> and there was no a money. A Time for Lord it. car. Yeah. It's bigger on the inside. All right, it's bigger on the inside. Oh, I was going to say, we, and you had mentioned it too, that during the chase scene, it was fun to see Joe just, he spits at the. <laughs> And then he just kind of like sits yes. there and twiddles his fingers. I think it was pretty. It was Drums kind of his fun. fingers on his it knees. Was like, doo, 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 doo. I didn't do anything. Doo, 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 well, doo, doo, doo. You, here's a fun fact for you because I found different. I mentioned that if, if Ray Harry had a modern ha- version of it, he would have been like peeing out the back. Of the <laughs> uh, an even more modern version because it got remade in 1998 by Disney <laughs> with a CGI gorilla. <laughs> But anyway, the, I I found now I mentioned that Ray Harryhausen did the effects in this, but it's not considered his first movie. It's given to Willis O'Brien, who did the stop motion in King Kong. So that's why this is kind of a remarkable movie because you have these two masters of stop motion working on it together, and Harryhausen is O'Brien's basically his protege, who went on to perfect what O'Brien had started. Now, O'Brien gets the, most of the credit in this, even though I saw numbers as low as 80% and as high as 95 for how much work Harryhausen actually did. He did the actual stop motion, okay. but Will O'Brien did all of the storyboarding and the sketching, and he planned everything out, but he didn't really do any of the animation. And there are points where you can tell that it's not Harryhausen doing the animation, most notably that chase scene because another guy named Pete Peterson, someone had very unoriginal parents. (laughs) 
he did a few scenes, including that one, and Harryhausen has gone on record as saying, he's like, yeah, that wasn't me. I wouldn't have had Joe do that. That's basically, he says, that's too anthropomorphic, and it, yeah. it's too comical, too brunch, broad comedy. I don't uh, I don't like that. Well, because it was very different feel than you Scott for most of Joe throughout it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was perfect. I, I mean, honestly, because he's like, near, 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 near. <laughs> yeah. Now, Harryhausen is very well known, as O'Brien was, as we saw in King Kong, for putting a lot of personality into his creations. And when you're an animator, and I know that there are CGI artists who will say this too, that they are as much actors as they are animators. So there were people in the commentary joking about how Ray Harryhausen played Mighty Joe. And he said I, he did throw in some little quirks into Joe, the the one being whenever Joe gets angry, which is a lot. Yes. <laughs> he will just pound the ground with one fist. And he actually said, I got that from King Kong. Nice. Because King Kong did that. Because Harryhausen saw King Kong at a very, very young age. And... It stuck with him for his whole life. Yeah, it traumatized him. <laughs> it's probably traumatized a few people, too. <laughs> Don't forget, it's King Kong we're talking about here. So I just wanted to bring that up because, yeah, that's why that scene sticks out because yeah. that wasn't very awesome. But it is funny, admittedly. So nightclub? Is that where we're back? Going back? Oh, yeah. Or? So back back to the... Wait, wait, wait. There's what... There, wait, hold on. Before we get to the nightclub, there was one funny thing. It was... We're looking for a gorilla in a white truck. Not in the back of a truck or a white truck that contains a gorilla. It literally was a gorilla in a white truck. So they forgot. all I see is that people were thinking that this gorilla was driving a truck. <laughs> and not being driven by a cowboy in a truck labeled Great Western. It was a moving company. Uh, yeah, so... So, yeah, that was the all-points bulletin, too. Uh. Did the owner die from dysentery? Yeah, well, that yes. only makes more sense when we get to the end of the conversation because we're going backwards. Yes, that's true. Okay. No, so. because it was the West. Oh, no. true. I thought you were talking about because we were cracking jokes when the movie started in Africa about how people were dying from dysentery. No. It did look like it was a visual representation of the Oregon Trail. Yeah, but then we said, I said, no, this is Africa, not uh, not the Oregon Trail. Like, okay, dysentery and Ebola. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so moving backwards, we're we're back to the nightclub scene, which the world's is fanciest nightclub. It's the world's yeah. fanciest nightclub. There is no nightclub that looks like that. Like James Bond built that nightclub. <laughs> it's the fanciest night because it's got a massive glass enclosure with more male lions than there probably is in half of Africa. It's got a massive elaborate stage and a, a, a rope bridge and, and an orchestra uh, that played up in the trees like yeah. they're I mean I'd go like see this like Ewok. Yeah. It, and it, then there's a bar that you can it, go it to. Was, it was like going to like, you know, you got if you combined like an, like a really popular zoo with a bar, yeah, it's like, and, a, and a stage, and it's a like, stage, it's like yeah. Disney. You got Tomorrowland, and you got this, you know. Then it's like, or you can go get drunk at Epcot. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Would it be culturally insensitive now, though? <laughs> All I can say is lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! <laughs> Except there are no bears. Or well, I know, but there's lions. You get and lions a and a gorilla. Lions and lions and lions. Lions and lions <laughs> and a really big gorilla. Uh, not King Kong big. 
but not big. King Kong big. By the way, Mighty Joe is not on the island. Oh. He's still in Africa because the young family won't let him come over here. And I yeah. honestly, their estate's probably safer. Probably, probably. I mean, at this point, my uh, Joe Young is you know he's got a pool and he's just retired and hanging out and yeah. So go plot wise. So you know the whole night nightclub middle section of the yes. movie. I mean, it's where you just get feel bad for Joe because he's just yeah. you know goes downhill. But I mean, I've and this is on purpose. But I simultaneously felt almost as bad for Jill because she's just like. She's young and, and naive. She's been, and she's got stuck. She's like, I, what I don't understand is why that dumb cowboy didn't just, like, get her out of it. Faster. Yeah. Yeah, Faster, like he's anyway, like, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, he's always <laughs> like, I reckon I'll help you if you yeah. really want to yeah. leave. <laughs> well, I would say, like, you could start a drinking game. Take a shot every time he starts a sentence with, I reckon. He, he, he never got, ex- like, he always, Everyone like, Everyone okay. is drunk in the world then. <laughs> I reckon. He was just very, like, lackadaisical. He's like, well, yeah. I guess Joe's not eating. He's probably depressed. You're probably depressed. You kind of probably feel like you're ch- stuck here. I could probably help you if you really wanted to. <laughs> then they have that I, little I could... flirtatious scene where he's like, well, do you, uh, she's saying, I want to go back to Africa. And he's like, yeah. and I want you to come with me. He's like, do you always ask guys to go to Africa with you? He's like, no, I just ask you. <laughs> and then the waiter like is like, ha, ha, ha. And then they kiss. Because that's what you do in these movies. <laughs> yeah. So, the exploitation of slavery. <laughs> you know, there are people... I read the essays. There were people who thought King Kong was meant to be analogous to slavery. I can see that where you're drawing the parallels because you're going over to a native land, you're taking a resource, and then you're exploiting it for your own personal gain. Without any reference to what it might want. Yeah, without any care to what it might want. And I felt like the girl was as much that way this time. Yeah, yeah. the gorilla is yeah, definitely see, that way, and the girl to a lesser extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah see, that's the other interesting thing. <laughs> Call it unfortunate or whatever, but you know, they really like this sort of story. Okay, we got another big gorilla story. We got a Beauty and the Beast thing going on here, except the, the similarities disappear pretty quickly after that because yeah it's the same thing big gorilla they find it they take it to civilization exploit it but it, in the case of king kong the whole point was going to this exotic place going on an adventure and finding it bringing it back and then that's the finale this is basically the impetus for the story they find it very early it's almost the complete reversal yeah. of it and in this case also the girl is intentionally taming the beast mm-hmm. In fact, if not for her, Joe might have actually killed some people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not some people, everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he's he's an angry big gorilla, especially when he's drunk. He is a very, very angry drunk. <laughs> yeah, so let's go back to the drunk guys. That d- The only people in the movie that truly deserve to die. Yeah, but they also show, well, we thought at first, like, can Mighty Joe not hold his liquor? Because so like it's like one bottle is not gonna get a twelve foot gorilla drunk. Okay, guys. Yeah, yeah. Unless they, it's like they, vodka or pure moonshine. Even the, a full bottle of vodka wouldn't like our moonshine wouldn't do it that. Yeah, quickly. yeah. Those guys had bought like several bottles of strong liquor for him before he just and then then they antagonize him. So he breaks through the cage, 
mm-hmm. and starts a rampage on the the nightclub. And the nightclub, which I think Rampage in the nightclub. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> Rampage in the nightclub. The new album from Burning Orphanage. <laughs> but no, I think that that whole elaborate nightclub was basically invented so they could have an incredibly cool set piece for yeah. the really the only the closest thing to a true kaiju rampage in this. This is his King Kong moment right here, and that scene is a tour de force of special effects. Oh my gosh. There are so many in there. It's, and when you think about how, like when he's smashing things, especially when he swings and he falls down and he takes out several, basically like several floors of these facades and they all, and all that debris just falls on him. Remind yourself that was all animated by hand. One frame at a time. And not just that. Like the the timing, I was dumbfounded. I'm like, wait, it really looks like he's smashing that, whatever mm-hmm. it was, to the point where you just there's that the disbelief of it not being real because you're like it's so well timed. It's like you really think that he's doing what he's doing. I mean, the timing is just incredible incredible all on its own it's almost like you want to go back and just like watch that whole scene again because it was seamless Mm -hmm. and incredibly gifted like in that time yeah and harryhausen was just starting out he was only in his 20s and it's it's just i just i can't even begin to think about just how complex that was and i mean like he was having to do things like if you'll notice like joe's eyes move all, all the, the time. time. Yeah. He has very expressive eyes mm-hmm. compared to say King Kong and so and in the commentary it was Terry Moore who played Jill, Ray Harryhausen and then like it was a guy who was interviewing them who was just a massive fanboy and I wish I could remember his name unfortunately. Put that in your blog Jimmy. But he asked him how did you get the eyes to move? What are the eyes? He said, "Well, those are just dolls eyes." Uh-huh. And he and he said he got them to move literally by using a pencil. He would just poke the eyes with a pencil, move them ever so slightly for a frame, and then photograph it. Mm-hmm. And he said all, I think he said like almost all, like 90 plus percent, I think he said, of the special effects sequences were one take. Wow. They had wow. very few, very few reshoots. The one thing that really, or the, there's two scenes that strike me, and it's special effects where Joe is either on a rope or he's falling down the tree, and you see him coming, like, it's from the perspective of Joe coming to the ground. And there's a lot of things happening in the background, but just everything coming up to him in that stop motion was really amazing to see. Yeah, yeah. It, stop motion is... A lost art, as far as I care. No, almost nobody does it anymore. I mean, recently, as of this broadcast, I recorded an episode of Henshin Men, where I talked about a Japanese film from the 90s, Japanese superhero film called Hakaider, and there's a stop-motion monster at the end of it, and that's from 1995. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, did Harryhausen see this? He would have lost his mind watching this. It's this malformed robot going on a rampage fighting the hero in this movie. And it's just, 
is, like I said, almost nobody does it anymore. It's only really people like Leica, the Leica studio that does stop motion of any kind anymore. Okay, so going back to the drunk scene um, <laughs> and all of that, it comes to my first of the two possible songs for me. <laughs> and, uh, and, jo- and so yeah, you know, Mighty Joe Metter is face palming hard right yes, now. Yes, he is, because he doesn't like this song for some reason. No, it's not the Africa song, Joe, not yet. <laughs> Spoilers! Spoilers! <laughs> That's fine. All right, so it's a big shot by Billy Joel. <laughs> so it's the, you had to be a big shot, didn't you? You had to open up your mouth. You had to be a big <laughs> shot, didn't you? Your friends were so knocked out. Okay. So I will stop on the, for, the, for my husband, not because I can't sing. So. <laughs> um <laughs> But yes, that's my first song because, you know, these drunk rich guys had to be like big shots and think, oh, what would be fun? Let's make this gorilla really drunk and then piss him off by lighting a lighter under his finger when we chose to buy him alcohol because it was funny. <laughs> oh, and how quickly they turned because they're like, this would be funny. Let's get the, the monkey drunk. Maybe he knows drunken monkey kung fu. And then as soon as they get him drunk, you're not any fun anymore. You drink all our Liquor that we gave you on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> it, it is amazing what drunk people will do when they're like, yeah, this will be fun. Let's, let's burn some money. Yeah, let's buy some booze. Well, we did have, let's throw money at the monkey. Yep. Yeah. They, well, they, it wasn't real money. It was giant disc of some sort. Yeah, of but thing. that was the scene where you're just like, this is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's going back. That was the like, it's like week 17. They're trying to do something new. And it's actually the first thing that's like, okay, we've gone from normal exploitation to just horrifying. And it's interesting. We have three acts. You have the first one, with the piano, which is kind of nice. And, yeah. you know. Yeah. Which according really to, like according to Terry Moore, she said that little kids came up to her for years who had seen the movie, and that was the part that they always talked to her okay. about. It wasn't Joe fighting lions or tearing up the nightclub, oh. you know, bl- blowing off the cops or or saving the uh, the burning orphanage. <laughs> and none of that. It was yeah. the piano scene. It, so, it, it does get like progressively like mm-hmm. crazier. Like, right. and then we go to there's a definite escalation. No, yeah, we do that sort of like kind of artsy, nice scene, and then we have sort of like your like reality TV show wipe out sort of with a strongman thing. And then yeah, we have like just 10, ten strongmen versus a gorilla. We're going to do tug of war. And you get wet and it's going to yeah, be hilarious. And it's going to be funny. Yeah. yeah. And then the, yeah, the scene where it just, de- we're going to throw even, money at the even monkey. more dehumanizing than an ape already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause that was the whole goal because one of the reasons that they made this movie, was because they realized seeing how King Kong was doing in re-releases just how much people were sympathizing with Kong. So they decided to make an entire movie about where you're, where by design, you're supposed to sympathize with the gorilla. I would like to point with the strong men. One, just because you're strong doesn't mean you're going to tug a war. Okay. We, we need to talk about that. The wrestler scene, or actually, it, I don't know if this was a joke or not, but in the commentary they said that was that was the out of the t- that there's ten of them, 
And they are nine wrestlers and a barkeep from across the street. That is an exact quote. The barkeeper across the street. Okay, well, here's here's the thing. So the wrestler at the the one wrestler who's supposed to be like this heavyweight champion gets like lifted up and decides to try and punch. <laughs> he gets into a boxing match. I which I still don't understand. You're gonna box a gorilla that's twice your height and that was able to pull <laughs> And of you. He thought he was Andre the Giant, apparently. I think he did. So he's like, here, I'm going to punch you in the face. And then, like, the gorilla's like, poke. <laughs> on his chin. Like, okay, yeah, sure, we'll play this game. This is funny. Book, 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 book. And then he does something stupid. I don't remember what it was. And she's like, stop it, stop it, don't kill him. And then he throws him, and he lands on a table, and everyone's, like, laughing. I'm like... He just threw a guy. <laughs> he threw the guy. That was not planned. And you're all laughing. Well, that's still not as bad as the scene earlier when he's about to throw a guy down a cliff, or at oh, least yeah. a short cliff, and she comes running in because. She's like, drop him, drop him. Yeah. I'm like, don't drop him. I was like, I was going to say, let me quote the Joker. Such a poor choice of words <laughs> it's like that's not what you want right now okay i don't care if you're jill and you have the stature uh, and the attitude of carrie fisher and the voice of judy garland this is not going to end well you need to say put him down not drop him Two very different things yeah so we we're going from the dehumanizing and and more extreme of the burning orphanage <laughs> to the demonizing throwing money at you to and and it was interesting there there is a scene not related to joe that the people that get him drunk and ultimately start the rampage should have been thrown out of the the nightclub you know there's the cigar lady that's dressed up nice and she's bringing cigars oh yeah they they end up harassing her and and they they sexually harass her and then they when she's like i'm not interested, guys. I'm trying to work. Um, he pours drinks all over the cigars, and yeah, and he and the owner's like, yeah, it was Max O'Hara. That was yeah. the moment where we realized that he's not quite Carl Denham. Yeah, where Carl, I don't know how much Carl Denham would have cared, but he went over there. and He's like, hey guys, knock it off. Yeah, he's being a good boss. Mm-hmm. Well, what he should have done is like, get out of my place, and you're paying for that. But he's like, you know, c- calm it down, guys. She's not interested. By the way, all that'll be on your tap. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand that. But it's interesting. We're talking about the this. We're talking about dehumanization with a gorilla, and I was you know thinking about how they're they're throwing money, essentially throwing money at him to entertain them. The drunks get him plastered to entertain them. Mm-hmm. That's all he is to them. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if we went necessarily want to go this route, but yeah, you know, I'm I'm thinking of people will go to a strip club and they'll throw money at an exotic dancer, mm-hmm. you know, it, but it's just to entertain. It's, it is dehumanization. Now we're not getting into that, but still, like you said, inter- you know, dance for me, monkey. That's basically yeah. what it boils down to. And just for uh, context, for those of you, since you're on audio, the money was like size of a plate. So yeah. you're not talking like, like just large coins. You're talking like a plate being thrown. Yeah. The idea him. was that whichever one Joe picked up would win uh, like free, free champagne, free champagne or something like that. So they're like, throw it at him. And he's, he's tired. 
he's not into it. At this point, they said it was like 17th colossal week, you know, things like that. He can't handle the tour anymore. Well, and, you know, the rich guys are the ones that originally, they threw after the money. They're like, oh, this is so fun. Let's throw a bottle of champagne at him. <laughs> and that's when they have to close the curtain to keep Joe from, like, reacting. Because, you know, it goes from being an annoyance to... You hit me in the you face hit me the in the, yeah. I'm going to come after you. Yeah. 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 Like, the yeah. consequences. Yeah. They need to be grateful that... She was there because without him, it would have been insane. And that's a right. very, uh, going back, we talked about the Beauty and the Beast thing mm-hmm. with the original movie and how it's kind of in there by accident and it's not all that pronounced. But in this one, it literally is that because the whole idea is that, because this is a very traditional sort of story where the the we're heroine. Te- we're telling it backwards. Yeah, the heroine is the calming force. She mm-hmm. tames, for lack of a better way to put it, the masculine and keeps him from just running rampant because we, as the audience, we can understand, it's like, we would be angry. We would be like, yeah, Joe, you go punch the drunks in the yeah. face. You know, we'd be totally okay with that. But she's like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I think you're justified. Go ahead. Well, she doesn't really tame. She raises. There is a difference. True. She's basically his mom. Okay. So going back further, we're, you know, 17 weeks on the tour. There's 10 weeks on the tour and the first week on the tour. You kind of get the idea that, you know, the girl who raised her, who's 18, is sort of living her life a little bit up. She's becoming more popular because of the show. She's got some money. She's got some nice clothes. She's got a guy on her her arm that ropes things <laughs> and talks awkwardly i reckon <laughs> um, he's from oklahoma he's from be oklahoma. nice not texas not texas because we do that up there in oklahoma too um, i totally missed the chance <laughs> okay anyways <laughs> uh, all during this time, the uh, the oppression of the gorilla, Joe. <laughs> the oppression of the gorilla. That sounds like the title of a of the great American novel, right there. Yeah. Well, he, he's he's stuck in a cage, and even at the ten week mark, he's so depressed he doesn't eat, and like the cowboy almost becomes human. Is like, yeah, I get it, man. I I hate to have to lock you up, but I'm gonna leave you there because I'm a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> in his defense he really didn't have any power to do anything about it and that was the whole point he didn't really have any power well there, there's the power to open up the cage <laughs> <laughs> and what let him rampage through the city and get shot <laughs> oh wait <laughs> uh, he wouldn't rampage it, well see you have to you have to understand we did have the fastest trial ever in this that would that could have been an interesting with the trial of mighty joe young and i'm, and I'm watching that because they're like we're sorry ma'am we have to remove sentiment from this he's gonna have to be shot and I'm just like, you know what? This is why you should. Mighty Joe should have had Raymond Martin from here on Monster Island representing him. We never would have had everything else, but yeah. we probably also would have had a lot of dead, burning orphans. Yeah, but that's true. <laughs> dead small children. It was all, everything worked together. Wrongful, con- <laughs> wrongful conviction of a gorilla 
dead small children. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so Simpson and Justice. Joe Young will go and do the judge and be like, you meant it for my for my yes, punishment, yes. but that God meant it for Joe Young. <laughs> the Genesis 5020. Yeah. <laughs> Mighty Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat? <laughs> yeah, I was waiting. I was waiting for that comment to come from somebody. I was just waiting for it and was like, oh, I knew it was going to come. <laughs> I love it. What the judgment... We- woe for evil, not woe for good. Um. I agree, Jimmy. This that is one of the greatest jokes ever said on this podcast. I'll be sure to, if I ever get in contact with the young estate, I will bring it up. I think a gift must be sent. Uh, well, I, I guess. We don't know how far into Africa it is. It could be the estate could be in Egypt. (laughs) He was taken from his homeland. homeland. (laughs) We have discovered the secret, (laughs) the secret secret allegory, the secret allegory of this movie. It is, in fact. The story of of the nation of Israel. Yep. <laughs> the cowboy is Moses. Jill wait, 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 God, wait. God adopting the thing into his family. Right? Okay, is. but wait, there's one very important thing. There's, let my gorilla go. <laughs> Again, great. When it starts raining me, I'm out. <laughs> well, we already had the Swedish chef, so we need Kermit. Raining <laughs> yep. cow. No, when it starts raining me like fro- frogs I'm out. <laughs> oh yeah, yes, yeah, the plagues, the plagues. Uh, the, uh, could the plagues be Joe going on his rampage and destroying the nightclub? I mean, he sets loose a plague of lions. <laughs> yeah, that was the other thing I want to bring up. How did the lions not eat anybody? Literally. I'm like, oh, On God, set the lions or are. in the movie? Uh, yes. The <laughs> they I, I think I heard that there were a lot of stuntmen who got hurt making this movie. We saw one of them uh, during the burning orphanage. Guy falls and breaks his heels, and they kept it in the movie. He actually hurt himself. Yeah, when the the rope burns. Yeah, and when the bridge was snapped, and that that really loud thump from all the people on the bridge, is that people got hurt doing that. So (laughs) this was not the movie to be in if you were a stunt performer. Yeah, I mean, it's too bad Jackie Chan wasn't around. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh! So but we also he would know punch the lines in the face and do all of his own stuff. <laughs> this is true, but yes, <laughs> we do know. And this is a very traditional thing to do. We should talk about since we're you're singing. We need to talk about how music soothes the savage beast. I'm surprised that they come back later. Yeah, but you know, yeah, beautiful the- dreamer, which was already a pretty well known song at the time. People don't know it all that well now, but the filmmakers thought that by using it, they'd make the song popular again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. The girl who raised the gorilla uses music to calm them down because like she played, yeah. because she played the music from a music box when, when she, he was a baby gorilla. Yeah. So, so he, are we in Africa now then in our backwards? Oh, well, moving? we haven't, Oh, we didn't talk about, the favorite scene where she's on the she's playing the piano on the piano, like, yeah. So yeah. they don't know who Joe is. 
Yeah, nobody knows who nobody, this, you know, who Joe Young of Africa somehow is. Somehow they kept this completely secret, which still boggles my mind. No internet. <laughs> there was no Twitter. Uh, if, you know, TMZ would have outed them as soon as they got uh, got a, uh, got anywhere close to the United States. For those of you who didn't hear Joe, he said there was no Twitter. <laughs> Thank God, Zilla. Okay, so like she's playing the piano, and you know, and he's like, they're all like, okay, what's going on? And then he's like, everybody, Joe. Joseph Young and like the like all you see is the piano like platform she's on starts to rise and I just remember I was like that is the coolest scene in that time frame even now it looks like it's floating mm-hmm. I want to know how they filmed it I think this is totally yeah and then, and then and then yeah the lights, then turn, the lights on, turn on and, and yeah. then it's it's you know, Joe holding up her platform and then it starts rotating around. Mm-hmm. And if you pay attention, you'll notice that it switches between footage of the actual actress who was playing. She played the song live on set. Now she said that they put in music for the soundtrack. So that's yeah. not her playing yeah. what you're hearing, but she played the song on set. She learned how to play it. It alternates between her and a stop motion doll. Oh, that's playing oh, I that. Didn't. I was I, I was just so like it was, was a really nice scene. It was so cool, and you know everyone was like all freaked out and like we're like oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and they're like oh okay, it's safe to go back to our seats, which is a real response too. Mm-hmm. So I also appreciated like the reality of it. I, I was just like that is like the coolest scene, and I know that's the one you said that kids were like talking about, and I can yeah. see why because it just it embodies the the sci fi aspect. Relationship mm-hmm. and the re- yeah. yeah, and it's the it's also early enough where they haven't they haven't been tainted by the world, yeah. even though apparently Hollywood is the real world. Yes. according well, yeah, to Mister O'Hara. O'Hara for him it is. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Yeah. So but, now we're going back to Africa, and O'Hare, the nightclub owner, all around not nice guy at that point. He's a fast talker. That's yeah, for he's, sure. He's a fast talker. We're gonna get. We're gonna get you a deal. You're gonna be the best thing ever. Uh, you just signed right there. Right Bull, there. Bully the girl who's lost her dad at six months ago. Who yeah. owns this like five mile farm? Yeah. yeah. Although she had that really great line when uh, our boy from Oklahoma showed up and he said because he had tried to rope yeah. Joe and all of that and he said I just came here to apologize and she says with a gun. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty great. Yeah, yeah, she's anti Second Amendment apparently. <laughs> it's Africa, so they don't really have that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he's fast talking and gets her the sign, and he's like, "I don't know if this is a good idea. <laughs> Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know when you're gonna get a giant gorilla." <laughs> yeah, yeah. The I don't know if cowboys are supposed to talk slow and dumb, but he did. <laughs> well, this was produced by John Ford, who was known for making westerns. Mm-hmm. If Tim was here, he would be yeah. telling us all about that, but he was a producer yeah. on this. And yeah. he discovered John Wayne. Apparently, this John Ford was a scary dude because even John Wayne was scared of him and showed Zach and Ford did not get along. From what I read, because Shodzak felt like he was trying to tell him how to direct. That got so bad that Shodzak actually left the project. Cooper had to get him to come back. And apparently after that, Ford shut up. (laughs) But 
poor Shodzak had horrible eyesight. He was almost blind at this point. Uh, but he kept directing the movie, and he had the right people around him who could help him out and make sure everything got done. So think about this. This movie was directed by a blind man. That explains the burning orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> well, interesting fact about the burning orphanage. Apparently, they sent that scene to Technicolor so they could really mess with it and make the, the colors and everything really pop. But according to Harryhausen, all of the home media releases, it, he says it doesn't look right to him mm-hmm. whenever he sees it. So he thinks that they just put a filter on it. Yeah. That's... Which is what they did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is really disappointing because, like, there's some parts of it where you can really see the red. You can see it. Mm-hmm. Like, the fire or whatever. Can where the they fire, Can they put the color? It. Like, they put color in, but it's also just a red filter. And, mm-hmm. you know, they still even now they'll taint a scene with a color, but it is not so brilliantly obvious. Mm-hmm. The vet's set. Stop. Yes, yes, yes. We know. We know. Burning orphanages were a red herring. Nick got that reference. Yes. I, flames I was, on the side of my face. Just like yes. <laughs> flames. Flames on the sides of my orphanage. <laughs> okay, back to Africa. <laughs> now we're trying to rope Joe. Yeah, we're trying to we're trying to rope Joe. Uh, with what, with one of your best lines from when we were watching it, because they're like, How did they make that? He said, I don't know, spaghetti? He's like, it's a spaghetti western. Yeah, it's a spaghetti western. <laughs> yeah, so all the ropes were getting broken by Joe because Joe's like, What are you doing? I snap with two fingers. <laughs> The horses were getting beat up, though. <laughs> the horses. Seriously. Okay, yeah, because this, with this like lions were handedly yeah. got PETA created. <laughs> yeah, it was like yeah, lions were getting abused horribly in the the nightclub, and then we had the cage scene, which is Joe's introduction. Yeah, and you know the horses in this, and we're just like no animals were harmed in the uh, in the making of this motion picture. Except, we lied. <laughs> except all the lions. <laughs> except all horses. of them. Which the, some of like, they were, filming, the set, they were filming, they were filming scenes where like, they would put this, the room sets at an angle so that the lion had no choice but to slide. Yeah. <laughs> so going back from trying to capture Joe Young, you, you see that they've captured the MGM Grand Lion and have it caged. <laughs> MGM hates this movie, I think. Yeah, it was MGM like... hates this movie is what I was thinking. It's like, oh, they captured MGM. This must be a Paramount film. Oh, if we forgot at the nightclub scene. We, we didn't talk about the long-necked woman yokai who showed up there for a hot second. That we, was creepy. That was super creepy, and we were trying to block that from our memory. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, yes, lions and horses and Africa. Yes, so... The MGM Grand Lion, you know, still still pretty spot, spry after three weeks of captivity. Oh, his name was Simba. Oh, yeah, Simba. I, I think it must be an African word, actually. I, I know it is, yeah, but okay. you know, I, I just, I'm just like joking that it's a good thing oh. that his dad wasn't around or else that would have ended very badly for all of them. Yeah, yeah well, it's after Mufasa died in the clearing <laughs> stampede. I was going to say, Simba is is imprisoned for the death of his father. Oh! Yep, yep. yep. The sequel that never got made. Disney's true stories. (laughs) Disney's true stories. Yeah, so anyway, Cowboy... So Cowboys and Roping Joe and... And then the lion in the cage, which actually, that scene, that's Joe's introduction, and it's got every special effect in the world on there. Like, they had a 
They had a back, uh, a front projected lion in the cage. Yep. The cage belonged to that they filmed belonged to Willis O'Brien. Then they had the stop motion gorilla. He was like, "Ooh, what's this?" Ooh, yeah. He pounced the top because which Harry Hasen said he saw actual footage of, or I actually saw actual chimps who would do that. They would pound on something like, "What's this?" And they would just pound on it. Yeah, it actually looked pretty realistic yeah. as to how a gorilla would act around it. What I found interesting in the chase scene directly after it is the you could see the background like the matte painting of the the trees and the horses going behind it and sometimes they go behind a tree and not show up on the other side of the tree <laughs> like they just went through a gateway and they were gone it's off magic the set. yeah I was like whoa this is awesome sci-fi <laughs> Long, unintended consequences apparently but <laughs> yeah so so that's joe's introduction and they, uh, before that we were introduced to j jonah jameson yep. yeah. <laughs> max o'hara talking fast talking about i'm gonna go do this it's very carl denham he's a fun character yeah yeah he, he is a really fun character Especially oh I, I love i love the last line before they switch scenes where they're like oh I don't know who I feel sorry for. I'm paraphrasing. I don't know who I feel sorry for. Max or Africa? <laughs> yeah, I love that. The other thing is when he's trying to get on the horse when they're trying to chase the gorilla, <laughs> that was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it was madcap comedy at that point. That was the point where the movie's like, hey, I know you remember King Kong. We're a comedy. Yeah, <laughs> We're this... a much lighter movie. Yeah. Yakety Sacks could have played and it would have been perfect. <laughs> um but yes, the they all get on their horse to try and rope that gorilla because wow, that's better than getting a lion. Yeah, because <laughs> they had talked about lassoing lions when they started. Yeah, I always wanted to go to Africa. <laughs> I reckon. <laughs> I reckon we can lasso me some lion. So yeah, we don't have no line in Oklahoma. <laughs> nope, it might have some in Texas. I don't know. <laughs> Texas Lions. That sounds like a baseball team. <laughs> well, no, wait. The Lions are in Detroit, you goofball. <laughs> yeah, they didn't do so well over there either. <laughs> <laughs> when do they ever do well? Anyway, still haven't won a Super Bowl. <laughs> and then at the very beginning, we basically learn. That the price of a gorilla is a flashlight. Yes, twelve years before this. I mean, okay. Well, when we meet Little Jill, who apparently was read Adam Smith by her father because she is an enter. She's a Proverbs thirty-one woman at age ten. No, she's not. So it's interesting. She's she's. I mean, she's pretty spunky. Like she'll just go and buy his gorilla and all that stuff. And then you know, when we meet her the next time, then she's running the farm on her own, and then. She kind of gets lost then, I think. Yeah, For, yeah. And I think it's an interesting little, I don't know, little character arc, I guess. Because well, she was kind of completely in control when she was in Africa. She understood everything that happened. and She was mm -hmm. in control. She's telling her. all of those guys. Like, that's why I said, like, yeah, you have the stature and the attitude of Carrie Fisher. Because she's she barely comes up to but, that one guy's chin, the cowboy's chin. And she's just standing right up to him. But she's she, much all of, out of her element in Hollywood is the, as is the Joe gorilla. is, yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. we we see the the startings of of this girl, and had this girl traded what she traded away for the gorilla, 
a, a good spanking would have been in order. <laughs> yeah, you were saying it's like it's a good thing you're not my daughter. Like, you traded <laughs> Look, my one, Daddy, what I got. <laughs> you traded my one good flashlight, your mama's, your mom's pearls, and God your knows, dead mom's pearls, your, your probably. Mom, yeah, your dead mom's pearls because we never see your mom. Um, <laughs> And all this other stuff, and you got me a baby gorilla that I have to take care of. Yeah, it's, it's just that we're not going to be able to keep because you, it's going to get too big. You better be glad that yeah that that I'm dying six months after you turn eighteen, or you would have been in that burning orphanage. <laughs> There's some truth. We don't know how he died. Maybe the gorilla killed him. Oh, no, he got stuff. dysentery. Oh, that's right. That brings us back to the beginning of the movie in which we see many people crossing streams and like what seems crossing the streams, not in a uh, Ghostbusters, like actual rivers in streams. And they 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 crossed the streams that got dysentery and Ebola. Yes. Streams of dysentery and Ebola. Um, they, they, I mean, they seriously look like they're... Yes, of, Jimmy, I know I'm horrible. <laughs> they really do look like they're scenes from, like, the visualization of Oregon Trail. <laughs> the only thing they didn't do is stop to go hunting for food. Uh, uh, Joy's got something. I, 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 she's bursting at the seams with she's this. She's going to do her last bath. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Joe was off mic. He said, I'm going to do my last bad. What was it? Musical. Musical. Okay. <laughs> we got a bonus already. You know, yeah, we got Oklahoma. Well, okay. So, well, and this one wasn't my idea because I was like, well, it's, it's just so on the nose and I like to do something that's more like embodying the whole film, but it was suggested. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. No. I bless the rains down in Africa. <laughs> So that's all I'm going to do of it, because I don't know the song very well. So we start with this uh, precocious young girl. <laughs> Hello. Faden. Hello, podcast listener. You missed out on a bunch of, of Patreon content. <laughs> this is one of the rare times. I will acknowledge Patreon content outside of the immediate audience here on the island. <laughs> Because Sunday, 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 <laughs> limousine, Mighty Joe Young in the burning offense, and Iron Maiden coming to a stadium near you. Say <laughs> <Like> darkness. <laughs> Ma. <laughs> so anyway, precocious little girl. Precocious little girl. Precocious little girl that apparently knows Swahili. Yes. And it makes me enough. think of Shirley Temple. Yeah. <laughs> so we got Shirley Temple, Judy Garland, Carrie Fisher. Yep. Got all of them covered. Yeah. At least she isn't a Kenny. No, she is not a Kenny. Joe is contemplating whether or not this child is a Kenny. Joe is trying to figure out what a Kenny is. Gamera. Gamera. Oh, that Kenny. That I blocked Kenny. him. I blocked that kid from my mind. How could you forget Kenny. that? Every kid in a Gamera movie, including Jimmy over there, is considered a Kenny. I've blocked Gamera from my mind. Even the good one I showed you? There's it's it's only good in comparison to other Gamera. <laughs> but Asuka does the dub. Okay. Asuka's dub is probably the shining moment. But anyway, so And the Michael J. Bay explosions. Yes. 
near the and, end. And that the, your the, son and loved. The atmosphere punch yeah. thing. <laughs> I need to show you the rest. Anyway, so yes, the precocious little girl. It's actually a pretty good introduction, it, I would it, say. No. The whole movie actually, I guess, to come back around now that we're at the beginning. The special effects, like we said, and the action scenes are very really? well done. Absurdly well done. For the as time much, period. As much as we like to make fun of burning orphan, orphans, orphanage, or whatever, it's a good climax. It just needed some sort of setup. Any sort yeah. of setup? I, sort I, of get setup. The, I get the impression all of you were in this movie. Yeah. It's just that when that hairpin of a left turn. You mean when it passed out for five minutes, came back and things were burning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, did I fall asleep and not even know it? Did yeah, I yeah. Like a so wh- that was the moment that took you out and you're just like, what just happened? And then after a minute or so, you're like, okay, this is a different movie now, but I'm in this one. Yeah. It was it was like a, they, they jumped two sequels. <laughs> yeah, they did. And- well, you want me to tell you what? Because unfortunately, the movie this was an expensive movie, and the I, budget I, kept I, going up. I don't doubt really? that. It ended up. I mean, how could you not have? I mean, animation's cheap. No, have, not ba- not this back then. I know, I'm joking. Yeah, I know, but not this back then. Comparatively, four years later, my uh, Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms made for about half million dollars. Yeah, that was pretty. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cheap. In fact, there were some of the special features on the Blu-ray. That I was looking at, where they wondered that this movie's failure probably killed the possibility of having these big budget, mm, you know, special effects films like like this and King Kong. The highest number that I saw, I saw a couple of different numbers, but the highest number I saw for this film was they said it ballooned to two point five million in nineteen forty nine, and then four years later, he had a fifth of that, and a heck of a lot less time. They had two years to put this movie together wow decent 20,000 fathoms they put it together fast and cheap yeah he didn't have any room to breathe so it didn't make back its money which is a little astonishing but the sequel that they wanted to do would have been tarzan meets mighty joe young (laughs) and they were gonna get lex barker who was famously playing the character in movies at the time I don't know. I can. I mean, it's it's obviously sequel style, but like they're in Africa. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I see it. It's a buddy cop movie in the jungle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tarzan and and Joe Young. But what Jill this? and Jane can hang out. Yeah. But but what Jill the- Jill and Jane are, are kidnapped by the bad guys, which are probably <laughs> like blood money coal mine or diamond miners, and then uh, <laughs> Tarzan meets up with Joe. That they have to to work back to back to uh, take out. No, the, but the but the cowboy is just really jealous of Tarzan because he thinks he's <laughs> way. Yeah, but then he's just a goon the whole time. So actually, he tries to, he tries to rope Tarzan. <laughs> he tries to rope Tarzan. That does that doesn't end no. well for him. Also, he betrays the girl to the the diamond miners, mm-hmm. which is what he becomes the villain of the movie yep. along with the diamond miners. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> This is not a Star Wars movie. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you been listening? It's a buddy cop movie with Joe Young and Tarzan. Tarzan. They, you can't flip him from being a good guy to a bad guy. It doesn't work. I, I reckon it does. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon it does, too. 
I reckon I'm going to go see Mighty Joe and the Burning Orphans on Sunday. <laughs> no, anyway, they, like, they only have that one song. I mean, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but it would have gone, I think. I think it would have worked. Yeah, it, it definitely It would have, especially boxing, at that time. Boxing on a cable car. I mean, there were also plans to try to get Tarzan to meet King Kong at one point. Was, that makes less sense. <laughs> no, because Tar- King Kong's too big. Like, Joe Young makes sense meeting Tarzan. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it would have made sense, and I think it would have been a fun sequel. It yeah. is really sad that this one didn't go very well. I mean, outside of the really weird jump. Yeah, it it didn't it, really, it didn't become really cool. a cla- it, it's kind of the Wizard of Oz syndrome or the Princess Bride syndrome. Yeah. It didn't become a classic until it started airing on television and things like that on things like Million Dollar Movie and it would get shown you know, once a day every day until the weekend when it got shown twice, you know, and that's when people started watching it and they would do things like they would they would actually air it with king kong and son of kong like it was another sequel so it's kind of this unofficial trilogy Hmm. even though this is a spiritual sequel more than anything else yeah obviously because we we found out that genesis 5020 applies to (laughs) (laughs) yes yes but I, i do have a couple little Fun little facts that I want to mention because, as usual, I over-prepare for my podcast. But there were... I just want to bring this up because this is just such a funny story. Harryhausen had four armatures to work with on this film. I found different numbers for how tall they were. They were all shorter than King Kong. That one was 18 inches tall. The tallest I found for this one was 13 inches. But some sources I looked at said the other ones were 5 inches or 6 inches or 10 inches. The numbers were all over the place. But the funniest story with all of that is that one of the armatures, he nicknamed Jennifer. (laughs) After Jennifer Jones, who was an actress in another movie that that was being filmed at the time called Duel in the Sun. And there was a projection room that he would have to wait to use because the other production was using it before he could use it to work on the mighty Joe young stuff. So he would just sit there and he would watch these dailies from filming duel in the sun. And there would be the, it had Gregory Peck in it, I guess. And there was this scene where Jennifer Jones, her hand was come up over a rock and she had very small, delicate hands. And he's like, Oh, that's just like my armatures for Joe, his little hand. So he called the armature Jennifer. So you listen to the commentary. They realize, Hey, is that one? Jennifer's like, yep, that one's Jennifer. (laughs) Jennifer has rubber lips and <laughs> I wonder what Jennifer's thoughts were on that. Jennifer Jones, I'm sure she was flattered. <laughs> oh shut up, Jimmy. You know you'd be honored. They you want an ar- you want a mighty Joe armature named Jimmy. I know you do. I think the thing I like about this movie so much is okay, spoiler alert, guys, I'm not into monster movies. <laughs> This is a well-documented fact. <laughs> it wasn't a traditional, like, monster movie. I think it had a very unique plot. Okay, yeah, Beauty and the Beast, blah, 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 blah. But the plot, like, the actual plot in it, one, the end, okay, even if it was abrupt, you think, oh, they're going to make it to the boat, and they're going to make it at the last minute, and you're like, oh, okay, or not. 
So, I mean, even has that even as weird as it, they set it up, it had a really interesting twist. It had like a storyline where I'm like, wow, this is a really cool story because there's redemption for one character, even though the people who caused the problem didn't have any consequences. The person who brought them over was like, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. I was wrong. I don't care if I go to jail. I'm going to make this right. Yeah. And that redemption part was really, really powerful. So I can't see why it became popular later because it wasn't a traditional monster movie. People mm-hmm. weren't thinking of it as like they were mm-hmm. watching and they're like, this isn't a monster movie. This mm-hmm. is like a fairy tale almost. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of pathos with Kong, but I kind of wonder if, if the pathos kind of came a little bit by accident. I don't think it was necessarily intended. They went into this with the intention of giving Mighty Joe plenty of pathos. And they succeeded marvelously. I think they made his character a character and not just a clay. He's a a special effect, and he's basically the main character. He is, and I love that. I love the fact that they they made so much emotion in the close-up. And Mm -hmm. it was just, yeah. Yeah, like I said, that was one of Harryhausen's specialties. I mean, when we watched Beast in 20,000 Fathoms, even the Beast has a little bit of personality to him. Mm Yeah, so, I mean, you know, we we often joke about they don't make them like they used to. They really don't make them like they used to yeah. plot-wise. Yeah, not even the Disney remake from what I understand, which had Charlize Theron and everything in it, and it, even it didn't land quite as well, although some people ironically blame that on Godzilla 98. Hmm. So they're like, oh, we'll put out the CGI gorilla movie. Oh, people don't want to see it because Godzilla was terrible. Okay, so there you go. Also, those armatures cost between fifteen hundred and two thousand dollars. Wow! And did you did you notice that we talked about this with King Kong? Did you notice the that the fur didn't move around nearly as much as King Kong? Yes. Yeah. I didn't notice that. It's because they figured out how to make it better. Okay. They had a taxidermist come in and use, and I don't know why this they, they stuffed him. I don't know why this sounds so horrifying to me. But they made the fur using, quote-unquote, unborn calf hair. Hmm. Um, that, no, but, do, that does sound horrifying. And then they rubberized it so it wouldn't move nearly as much. Yeah, that's that's kind of horrifying. I guess it's a taxidermy this, thing. This movie single-handedly created PETA. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly at this point. I mean, but, all animals were hurt in the making of this movie. <laughs> Uh, I do want to end on this. Oh, also, Harryhausen said when uh, showing the armature to some interviewers, the Chiodo brothers, actually, that he said that I have a Zeus complex because he's talking about how he's the how the the Greek gods always uh, the Greeks always thought the gods were just manipulating everything oh. like they were puppets. And he's like, yeah, I have a Zeus complex because I move the I move all the <laughs> things around. And I I think that a good way to end this before we go on to the next segment is to end it using, I'm not kidding you, apparently the feral gesture for Ernest Schoedsack was a poem. And they think Ruth Rose, who, by the way, was also the original screenwriter for King Kong, they wrote him a little poem to end uh, to wrap everything up called Grow Young with Joe Young. And according to Ray Harryhausen, An Animated Life, it went like this. And now to make a point, Joe kindly wrecks O'Hara's joint 
Of course, the audience is thrilled. Of course, there is nobody killed. But this is not through lack of trying by Harryhausen and O'Brien. And even though Joe has no equal, we wonder who'll finance the sequel. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty fun. I like it. Joe shaking his head in disgust. I like it. I didn't shake my head. This is just a straight face palm. There's a slight difference. (laughs) Anyway, on to the Toku topic. You know... I'm the kaiju guy now, thanks to the Monster Island Film Fault, but before that I was the superhero guy. I wonder if there's a way I could combine those. Hey, Nathan. Uh, Travis from Kaiju Weekly? Yeah, I'm here because I need a co-host for a new Toku Heroes podcast. Oh? What's it called? Him. Shim. Standing by. Complete. That's right, heroes. We are the Henshin Men, a tokusatsu superheroes appreciation podcast. Join us as we watch several episodes of a TV series from the wide world of Henshin heroes and discuss their merits and cultural significance. Starting with one of my all-time favorites, the original Kamen Rider from 1971. We'll give out awards for things like the best action scenes and crazy what the Henshin moments. So hear us every Monday in your favorite podcatcher to get your weekly Rider Kicks. Gotta go, because we only have a minute to henshin it. Alrighty, and after having a very entertaining conversation during the break, (laughs) most of which... Will not be, uh, will not ever see the light of day unless you pay me for it. Hello, patrons. <laughs> and some of that we're still keeping. <laughs> yeah, some things are not meant for. I wanted to say virgin ears, but I don't know if that's the right word I want to Human use. Human consumption. <laughs> yes, consumption. We'll go Public with that. Consumption. Which is also, I think, another name for dysentery. So. <laughs> Actually, it's another name for tuberculosis. There you go. Okay, say so I'm getting my diseases wrong. Let's. <laughs> anyway, gorillas in captivity. <laughs> Toku topic of the day. Highly relevant to what we're talking about. More relevant than I was expecting, honestly, doing the research. Because, well, there's a lot of opinions out there, apparently, about gorillas in captivity. A lot of mixed feelings about the whole matter. But to kind of start at the beginning, even though they don't they don't really talk about this, but the first gorilla to be exhibited, you know, we saw King Kong, then we saw this, was actually in 1855, and it was outside Africa, and it was a chimpanzee. Yeah. And then in North America, the first gorilla to be exhibited was an infant, infant, taken to Boston. And then it died in 1957 after only five days in the city. That's depressing. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of times when they were exhibiting gorillas like this, they were being brought as, quote unquote, trophies, evidence of imperial victory over savagery, and as souvenirs. Yeah. And 
So the fact that we're seeing Joe getting a mighty Joe getting tired. I mean, real Joe's getting a little tired now too. But <laughs> uh. <laughs> that sounded like lurch. But <laughs> also in this movie, yeah, the one of the wrestlers does look like lurch. I wrote that in my notes actually. <laughs> but the, yeah, so the fact that he was getting worn out that uh, obviously these people didn't know how to care for gorillas so it's not surprising especially back then the first zoo to exhibit a gorilla was the bronx zoo in the early 20th century but now there are several reputable zoos that exhibit gorillas and they're used for uh, captive breeding programs which we'll talk a little bit about as we go on here and you'll find this interesting joe you referenced the cincinnati zoo i think while we were watching the movie I was saying the Toledo Zoo. Toledo yeah. Zoo, that's I mean, right. Yeah, they have yeah. that good. Yeah. yeah, but your home state was home to the first gorilla born in a captivity in the United States. Cleveland, Columbus. Columbus. The Columbus Zoo. The It was December 22nd, 1956, and the gorilla's name was Colo. Take a wild guess how they got the name. Colo. I don't know. Don't, don't know. They combined Columbus and Ohio. <laughs> Joe is unimpressed with his home state. Cola was a Western lowland gorilla, was the daughter of Millie and Mac, who were two gorillas captured in French Cameroon and were brought to the zoo in 1951. So there you go. That was the first one born in captivity. So this movie was made before the first gorilla was born in captivity. So I mentioned that there are captive breeding programs. Those were, uh, according to the WWF, the, the World Wrestling Federation. Actually, the World Wildlife Fund. <laughs> also features wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> well, <With> their alligators. <laughs> well, their logo was a panda. What do you think happened to the dodos? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. They no longer have the belt. (laughs) So as you might expect, this is a very controlled process. Some people do this, weirdly enough, for profit because they will sell the offspring because there are people who, believe it or not, apparently have pet gorillas, just like Jill, except they're not 12 feet tall. (laughs) But usually it's they give them to labs because gorillas are an endangered species. Mm -hmm. Very endangered species. And the the WWF considers this the last alternative to preserve the population. Because particularly of Western lowland gorillas. But we talked about, you know, Jill getting the baby gorilla. So I mentioned that some people have gorillas as pets. It's because poachers will find baby gorillas and sell them. Mm -hmm. And the people who get them don't know how to take care of them. And as you might expect, even though the babies will elicit sympathy when they become adults, their needs and maintenance increase. But that's true of basically all pets. Mm-hmm. You get a puppy, and you're like, oh, the puppy's cute. Then the puppy gets big. Then the, the other people who will buy gorillas through the selective breeding, in particular, or laboratories who use them for experiments, though not as much as monkeys and chimpanzees. Yes, Jimmy, I know. As VeggieTales always tells us, this goes all the way back to your first episode. Yeah, if it has a tail, it's a monkey. Doesn't if it doesn't, it's an ape. Yep. Doesn't have a tail, it's not a monkey, it's an ape. Or, yeah. yeah, there you go. But things like invasive experiments, those are forbidden in a lot of countries. 
Uh, but they also do it to research the behavior of gorillas. The most interesting one that most of us probably know about is Coco. You remember Coco? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was the gorilla who learned sign language. Thanks to Francine Patterson back in the 70s. Rather impressive. So I mentioned gorillas are endangered. Well, they do live longer in captivity by about 10 years. And it helps that they don't have food or, uh, well, they have more food and no predators. But there's a drawback. Captive gorillas are obese. Yeah. And 41% of captive gorilla, 41% of the deaths of captive gorillas are predictably from heart disease. So there you go. Don't be like a captive gorilla, apparently. Also, the other things that are plaguing their populations, well, poaching, because they need bush meat. Also, I found out that gorillas can catch Ebola. So all of our our Ebola jokes are relevant. In fact, it says since the 1990s, 80% of eastern lowland gorillas in Central Africa have died from Ebola. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big plague for them. Yeah, certainly. And now, when the population worldwide used to be in the millions, now they're estimating that there are only 350,000 wild apes left in the world. Hence why the breeding programs are done to help, with, uh, to help stem this. But here's the funny thing. The ethical dilemmas that come from keeping gorillas in captivity, there is an entire organization that apparently fights for gorillas' rights. Not surprised. The Great Ape Project, or GAP. It's an international organization. Oh, it's not just gorillas. They do it for chimpanzees, bonobos, orangutans, the gorillas. <laughs> and I'm just thinking of Monty Python. The orangutans. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they argue, no joke, they argue that these primates are individuals with highly developed social, emotional, and cognitive abilities and should have three basic privileges. The right to life, the protection of their freedom, and the prohibition to torture them. But there is a particular incident that I'm sure we all remember that highlights the issues of gorillas in captivity. Does anyone here remember Harambe? Yep. Inspired a lot of memes on the internet, apparently. As well as some uh, good material for other authors. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention, you were joking, going back to the film discussion briefly, you were joking about how this was based on a true story, and I said it kind of was. It came from a a non-fiction book called Toto and I that was about a a woman who adopted a infant gorilla. It was a female, and she would dress it in dresses and everything. Yeah, she should have went to prison. (laughs) Anyway, so Harambe. For those who don't know or don't remember, uh, Harambe was a 17-year-old lowland gorilla who was shot dead. So he got shot, unlike Joe, at the Cincinnati Zoo. So now we're getting to to Cincinnati. After a three-year-old fell into his enclosure. This was back in 2016. This sparked a huge debate over gorillas being kept in captivity, like I said. Many primatologists are uncomfortable with these animals being kept in zoos because of how closely related they are to humans. Going back to what we were talking about with Gap, fighting for the rights of the apes. That sounds like a Planet of the Apes movie waiting to happen. The funny thing is, this is not the first time something like this has happened. There was another one in 1996. It was at the Brookfield Zoo. 
and it was a female gorilla named, I hope I'm saying this name right, Binti Jua. The gorilla was eight years old, and there was a little boy who fell in, and she rescued the boy. My question is, how are these parents allowing their kids get so close that they can fall in? Well, I see, mean, that just blows my trip. mind. Public schools. Well, <laughs> hot takes. Anyway, no, it, that's actually the funny thing is, is this incident has actually sparked a lot of talk about how to construct these gorilla Enclosures. Enclosures, you know, to make them bigger, put moats between them, how you know, greater distance between the zoo goers and the gorillas. And there are people who are lunch meat. Yeah. And there are people who are trying to say that the only reason that Harumbe reacted the way he did was because people were yelling at him. So he would basically was, you know, going into a bit of a threat display. And they said that it's all bravado put it anthropomorphically it's like he wasn't really going to do anything it's just intimidation and he, but people thought it was he was acting out of being violent mm-hmm. so they shot him and the, so there was a primatologist that i found in my research who said if i had been there that that wouldn't have happened because i would have told him to back off yeah and the funny thing is is that we have this popular perception unless you're kong obviously that gorillas are these big aggressive animals and he said they're not really. They're actually uh, chimps are far more aggressive and nasty. We've heard stories about chimps mauling people because they try to keep them as pets. The gorillas are actually very gentle animals, unless provoked, basically. So it's complete reversal there. But chimps look cute, so we think they're the nice ones when really they aren't. So they're talking about how you know back then that female gorilla was this heroine, but they shot Harambe. Because people just jump to conclusions. You have to wonder why they would have jumped to conclusions if they knew. I mean, you know, it's not like some Joe Schmo just shot them. It had to be the zoo. Like, did they not think, oh, we just need to get the crowds, like, back and calm or whatever. Why they would have jumped to that first thing. Now, you try dealing with a panicking crowd. (sighs) Yeah. It's just odd. Yeah. Here's the th- the other thing that people bring up on why why keeping these animals in the is bad. Gorillas raised in captivity are completely unprepared for the wild. I found a story where they said that they took a few that were raised in indoor enclosures, put them outside for the first time in their lives, and then it started to rain and they freaked out. Hmm. They couldn't stand the idea of having or getting wet from rain. They they panicked. The, in fact. Here's a line here from one of my sources. When the British aristocrat Damien Aspinall released 11 of his captive-bred lowland gorillas into the wilds of Gabon in 2014, five were found violently dispatched, probably by a resident gorilla, and the others disappeared. There are primatologists that consider zoos to just be amusement parks with educational placards. They don't, you know, they, so they demean zoos. I know there are a lot of people who demean zoos. I mean, there are people who have choice words about places like Monster Island. So, you know, scale is a thing. Kaiju rights activists. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're a pleasant bunch, let me tell you. They've joined with PETA in the Gap. Yeah, I've, I, Sometimes it feels like that, but I think even, the, even PETA in the Gap is like, nope. <laughs> Y'all look crazy. Because they are. Just ask Nick Totopoulos. They took over the other monster island for a while. It was nuts. <sighs> so, zoos are trying to improve the health of their resident apes. 
Because the one solution that they took with it was to make the enclosures very sterile, but that just made the apes bored and depressed. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> and funny thing is, is apparently gorillas like to play with touchscreen computers. So they started doing stuff like giving them touchscreen computers, and that was very stimulating for them. So, word to the wise you put primates, including humans, in quarantine, it's not going to end well. <laughs> it's bad for the gorillas and it's bad for people. I can say that now because the board doesn't have nearly as much power. Also, I'm sure that there's been some gorillas that have died from having to wear their masks. <laughs> we have a few kaiju who wear COVID masks. It's kind of funny. And Jimmy has a Mecha Godzilla mask. It's that's hilarious. Oh, calm down. You know you love it. So they're all, and they're also trying to not only uh, not only to have stuff like that, but also they're trying to keep them more. Uh, they try to give them things like uh, it says tires for swinging, rocks for climbing, or in Joe's case, rocks for throwing. Yeah, for dodgeball, because you made that remark while we were watching the movie. It's like, oh, it's just like high school. Like you play dodgeball with rocks, <laughs> not with rocks. <laughs> It, they felt like it when the bullies were using them. Yeah, yeah, but you know they because they want to make because their gorillas are very social animals. Very, there are very, very few lone gorillas in the world, which is one of the things that makes Kong tragic, is because he's a lone gorilla. Yeah, yeah he doesn't have a social group. They're very social animals. So, but so they wanted to make sure they gave them enclosures where they could have groups for things like mutual grooming, and apparently they would laugh and yawn together. Because I guess gorillas can laugh. That's news to me. The last point I'm going to bring up, because I can tell this is a riveting subject, is if you are a tourist and you want to see gorillas in the wild, which you can do, there are even stricter guidelines than if you go to a zoo. Hmm. Imagine that. Stricter guidelines in the wild. Yes. So, to quote one of my sources... To avoid disease transmission, behavioral disturbance, and stress for wild gorillas, tourists who visit their native habitats must be over the age of 16 and in a group of no more than eight. The guidelines allow them to spend one hour quietly watching from a distance of about 10 meters, which is about 30 feet. So all of that to say, this movie's not too far off. Yeah, Joe, Mighty Joe is a big gorilla, but he's still a gorilla, and apparently gorillas don't really work all that well in captivity. There's downsides to it, but there's but but it's the catch-22, because they need captive gorillas for breeding programs so they can save the species, basically, but at the same time, it's not good for the gorillas, and we have incidents like Harambe to look at and be like, yeah, so people are weighing a lot of options. It's a diff- It's it's a weirdly difficult subject to weigh out. I wasn't expecting that when I was looking into it, but yeah, like I said, massive debates over it. Clearly, not, uh, none of you have anything to say about that. So, with that out of the way, the most riveting Toku topic of our time. Although the film discussion was just so good, it we, just we, took the energy right out of it. Energy, yep. Yeah, just like <laughs> air out of the balloon. So we went from the most exciting thing, which is burning orphans, <laughs> to the least exciting things, gorillas in captivity. And with that, we're done. Okay, 
Now that we have finished the most riveting segment of the show ever, I'm going to share a little bit of listener feedback. So we have an email here from one of my Japanese listeners, Kyoe Toshi, who I've joked before, listens to every Kaiju and Tokusatsu podcast ever. She has since written me, because this is what she does, to correct me and say, actually, I don't, because there's too many now. But at one point I was. She's actually writing in to talk about how our new theme this season is Amerikaiju. She writes, Hello, Nathan. I'm happy to see the focus on American kaiju films this year. For a lot of them, there isn't much information here, and Giant Monster Messages was the only podcast really looking into them beyond a synopsis. Giant Monster Messages is another podcast. (laughs) Here, now she's going into it. I used to listen to all the English-language kaiju pods, when, they, when there were only five or six, but now there are way too many for that. I have over 60 on my phone that I am subscribed to, no exaggeration. And that's not including the ones that no longer produce anything, at least 20 or 30. And ones that cover toku like Ultra, Rider, Sentai, and Sentai are even way more numerous than that. Since, of course, I'm also listening to Japanese kaiju pods, way fewer, most genre pods here focus on toku in general rather than focusing on kaiju, which reflects the different approach to fandom in the East and West. That limits what I listen to. So I only really try to keep up with MVM, because she's rattling off a few titles here. Some of these guys are friends of mine, actually. Giant Monster Messages, Major Patrol, Parts of Tokyo Lives, Three to four hour eps are a little much. I had almost a three hour episode once. Don't want to do that again. (laughs) And your show, along with eps from other kaiju pods where the subject interests me. G-Force and Odo Island are good too. I do try to listen to at least one episode from every pod just in case it's doing the kind of thing I'm looking for. But sadly, most are just recapping the films and trying to constantly be comedians. I wonder how she'll feel about today's episode. We don't try. We're successful. <laughs> That's one It's of, not stupid. It's advanced. That might have been one of the best lines you've ever had on this show. <laughs> and then she also mentions that the on the podcast website, I forgot to get rid of the password for one of Jimmy's blog posts. Oh, calm down. You should have reminded me a little bit sooner. So she wanted me to take that down so i did and then she finishes by saying hope you have a wonderful year of the tiger <laughs> apparently it is the year of the tiger 2022 so there you go thanks once again kiowe in fact kiowe i think sends me at least one letter per episode it's <laughs> she has been very consistent at sending feedback she almost is listener feedback which is kind of funny because i at one point was listener feedback, feedback for, for derail trains, trains yep yep what I would like to say to her is you're right. If people try and do comedy, it doesn't work. Like us, it's just us being us. So yes, yes, yes. And we rather enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But now, Kaiju lovers, it's time for one of my favorite segments of the show. And hopefully <laughs> all of you are not too tired from this trip to Monster Island to do this. And that is the Patreon shout outs. Woohoo! Go 
Travis Alexander! Michael Hamilton! Danny DeMana! Eli Harris! Chris Cook! Bax from Redeemed Otaku! Damon Noyes! The Cellcast! Eric Anderson! And Ted Williams! It's the Monster Island Film Vault with special guest star... Tofu Fury! Yay! <laughs> there are reasons why this is my favorite, well, one of my favorite segments of the show. Because of burning orphans? Yes. <laughs> burning orphans. <laughs> Someone is going to rip all of these out of context and make us all sound terrible. <laughs> Oh, oh, cool. Can I send that tape to Disney? <laughs> he wants fired really bad, I could tell. So, just to give you all a preview of what's to come, I will be getting back to my sub-series Godzilla Redux with Mothra 1961. Now you're probably thinking, that's not a Godzilla film. Well, it's in David Callett's book. And just like Rodan, I might add, and Mothra showed up in a bunch of Godzilla films, it counts. Because I said so. And my guest will be patron Becky Becksmith of Redeemed Otaku. Because apparently whenever I talk about a Mothra movie, I have to have her around. Because we did the Mothra 90s trilogy. And the show was never the same. For so many reasons. Apparently in a bad way. Or a good way. I got a clone sister out of it. What do you think? Well, that still could be good or bad. Yeah. I'll introduce you to Jessica after the show. She's now in charge of tourism here on the island. That's that okay. was a sudden change. And then Kaiju will march on with 1954's THEM! That's actually I have to say it. It's all caps with an exclamation point. THEM! Why are you pointing at me? <laughs> because you are THEM! <laughs> I'm not them. I'm me. <laughs> and... Joining me for that will be my friend who I just referenced in this episode because hardly an episode goes by where I don't reference him, John LeMay, who hails from New Mexico. In fact, he lives in Roswell. Nice. He's from the same state where that movie takes place because giant ants and nuclear tests. That's what happens when you test nuclear bombs in the desert. You get giant ants. Of course. So there you go. It's, a cl it's considered an American classic, we're, interestingly. It sounds like it's a B-movie, but it's actually much better than a B-movie. So, come back to listen to that one. And now it's time for shameless self-promotion. I'll do a little bit of my own just because I have to plug it. I now have a podcast empire. Kind of happened by accident. So if you enjoy Tokusatsu Superheroes, check out both of my other shows, Henshin Men, a podcast that celebrates Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and high-kicking adventures, which I co-host with Travis Alexander. And The Power Trip, A Journey Through the Power Rangers franchise, which I co-host with Michael Hamilton, both of whom are patrons that we shouted out earlier. Both of which are proud members of the Kaiju Ramen Media Podcast Network. There you go. What do you have for us, Nick? I know you're the one who actually has things. I, yes. So as you've heard last time I was here, I am still co-host of the Durrell Trains of Thought podcast, uh, your premier podcast on storytelling for the creator and consumer. 
monthly episodes where we discuss just, hey, different aspects of making stories, talking about stories, watching stories, etc., etc., etc. A lot of good stuff. So, yeah. Tune in with me and my partner who is not here tonight, Tim Deal. Who missed out on the burning orphans. And also, people should read all of your stories on your website. That's true. There are uh, numerous, 100 and as of the time this comes out, at least 155 uh, flash fictions, which may be accessible in new ways soon. I'll just leave that here. And that is what I have for now. Well, and you and I have also been in two books that were published this past year. That's true. Zorzum, Zorzum and the God Who Devours, which was a novella we co-authored with our friend Aaron Brosman, yes. and The Fantastic 42, a devotional book. Which I finally have my hands on. Like, I had written the, 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 my pieces for it and kind of sent them into the wind, and now I have it back. Yep. Uh, so you finally got one. I've been sorry. I've been meaning well, to send fine. you those. I, it was off my radio. Like, it's just one of those things like, oh, yeah, I did that, didn't I? Oh, yeah. You have a tendency to forget stuff. I've you have, like, the before. memory of a goldfish. As soon as you write something and it's out in the world for more than 10 minutes, you forget you wrote it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nick is, like, the worst promoter of his own work. That's this why he had. Absolutely ha- true. This yeah. Is- He's a brilliant author. And, like, his first book is one that uh, you might be seeing some. We might, and I emphasize might, be starting a podcast to uh, <laughs> discuss some of the ch- like d- dramatic reading of the chapters. One one. Um, yeah, you and I have played around with that a little bit. Yeah. Unfortunately, since I became a teacher, I've not. There are numerous things I need to get republished or in in people's hands, and I have just not had time currently. But it will eventually, maybe, possibly, happen. S- Definitely, maybe. Definitely, definitely, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, at some point we we might have uh, trouble on the horizon. No, that wasn't uh, a funny. The the his title is Trouble on the Horizon. I know. Adventures of Strin and Fred. I know. That's okay. book one in a multi-book series that was originally a trilogy, and now it's up to, like, what, well, it's, 17 books? No, no. It's, it's this is not the Wheel of Time, it's okay? It's the Wheel of Time. No, it's supposed to be four. Okay. It's yes. supposed to be. Supposed yeah. to be. Three is just absurdly long. So five books. Agreed. I haven't finished it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, thank you. Okay, so I don't have a podcast, but I would like to sponsor grass as my podcast. <laughs> because as we know... Is corn grass? Is I was about grass. to ask. You know, this know is, a, this is the answer know. that we have been looking for for years. So my question is to you all, is corn grass? We will never know. We'll figure out how Jimmy survived the war in space before we know if corn is grass. Oh, calm down. We I still know don't... how he survived the war in space. He sacrificed all those burning orphans. <laughs> you monster. Yeah, claim all the fake news you want. Actually, yeah. Yeah, Jimmy, that you are the monster. <laughs> That's why this is Monster Island. It's because you're on it. Yeah. Uh, you didn't. Well, you weren't expecting this to turn into a roast for you, were you? Uh, whatever you need to do to get back into life, buddy. But uh, there's some things I wouldn't be able to live with. <laughs> the kids can't either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is officially coming off the rails. <laughs> it is derailed, you might say. It, yes, that's what happens when I'm here. 
So with that, Jimmy, you burner of orphans. (laughs) Cue the credits. Thank you for listening to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. If you want to join the discussion and be heard on the show, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault. And on Twitter, where our handle is at TheMonsterIsla1. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and TikTok. Follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA Jimmy and our many other colorful characters using the links in the show notes. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawsComics.com. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive, live edit by B33J, Serax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack, Battle with the Colossus, and the Opened Way, Battle with the Colossus, by Koatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can also support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. The Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas media production. Sayonara! As great as that broadcast was, Jimmy, I wish I'd heard from Terry Young about Mighty Joe. But given how last minute that email was, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Oh, I just got a reply. I'll let you know here in a sec. It's a video message. Just give it a bit here to buffer. There we go. Hello, Mr. Marchand. It's good to hear from someone on Monster Island other than that nasty board. I'm also happy to learn that the island is under new management. Joe and my family know all too well the perils of putting your trust in the promises of powerful people. But please tell Mr. Winter, politely, if that we are still not interested in having Joe perform on the island, we certainly aren't going to donate any of Joe's blood to him, even if it's for science. Joe has his rights, and I and the rest of my family intend to make sure those aren't violated. He's as much as a person as you, or me, or anyone else. There is no price you can pay us for his DNA. When will it stop? First his blood, and then what? Bone marrow? Organs? Maybe the other big apes you have on your island double as your guinea pigs, but not Joe. I'm sure you're just a messenger here, Mr. Marchand, and I don't mean to make you a proxy for my anger toward the board in winter, but I hope you understand. Joe isn't for sale. Not even a piece of him. We have our own doctors who tend to him. So leave us alone. Thank you for listening. What? The... Heck? Blood samples? DNA? Organ harvesting? I'm not either, but it's hardly anything to go on. It's her word against winners. She could be making things up for all we know. 
Yeah, and even Raymond and Gary can't make this stick without hard evidence. Huh. Sounds like I'll be chatting with Nick Totopoulos and Heat a bit more. <laughs>